Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was alone there. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the gift that today is, for the gift of being drawn in fellowship together, in the presence of your spirit, to worship, to hear your word. But Lord, we confess that there's a lot going on in our heads, a lot of things that tend to pull our attention away from you. So we pray, God, that in this moment, your spirit would help settle each of us whether we're here in these pews or on online at home. Settle our spirits, open our ears, soften our hearts to hear your word fresh and new this morning. May we be encouraged by it, built up by it, and, and drawn into a closer discipleship, following the footsteps of Jesus. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. So picture this, you're standing on a plate of glass, suspended in midair over a canyon, and then the glass suddenly cracks. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> in October of 2015, this is exactly what happened. A floor panel in central China's glass skywalk cracked. The skywalk is a narrow 1,300-foot-long glass-bottom walkway suspended over a canyon, over the canyon walls in Yuntai Mountain Scenic Park. It's about 325 feet above the canyon floor. To say this freaked out everyone is an understatement. Terror among the tourists screamed headlines all over social media. According to the witnesses, there was a sudden loud bang and a tremor beneath the feet of bridge crossers who weren't even near the shattered section. People started screaming and running to the ends of the bridge. I cannot blame them. I would be the first one. 
The good news is the crack panel did not give way. No one was hurt. Park officials say there was actually never any danger as the crack caused by someone's thermos was only in the top layer of the panel. The panes are designed to carry 1,700 pounds each, but people on the walkway were not comforted. Even before the crack, people were uneasy crossing this bridge, a bridge of nothing, a bridge of air. The glass creates an illusion that you're walking in space with nothing to support you, yet you don't fall. Gravity is foiled by a pane of glass beneath your feet. Here in Arizona, we have our own glass bottom attraction, the famous Skywalk Bridge at the Grand Canyon. It's more than 700 feet above the canyon floor. It's beautiful and it's terrifying all at the same time. In your mind, you know the glass will support you and the structure is safe. It's made by people far smarter than I, thanks be to God. But your gut doesn't quite embrace what your mind knows to be true. Tourists who go on the skywalk report that their heart rate increases. They start to sweat a bit. Many try not to look down at their feet, which seems to be suspended in midair. Still, many people have faith, and they walk out on the glass and enjoy this remarkable vista that was created by God. The whole idea of these skywalks is to let visitors see the depths below them. And for those who try it, it takes a tremendous amount of courage. Some people get on their hands and knees and crawl across. I'm not judging. They're out there. They're doing it. Others shuffle and grasp the railing as they inch across. Still not judging. They went out and did it. And some others walk confidently, chest high, but they're walking very fast. They're trying to get across as soon as possible. Today's scripture brings us to another courageous walk of faith. It's mentioned in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. And in all three of these Gospels, the story comes right after what we often call the feeding of the 5,000. After feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with nothing more than five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus finally gets his moment of solitude. He tells the disciples to go on ahead, get in the boat, and begin crossing the Sea of Galilee. As a mother of a two-year-old, this sounds lovely. <laughs> After mealtime, I would love the solitude of a mountaintop. Go. But Jesus doesn't just invite the disciples to get into the boat and cross the sea. A sea notorious for getting swept up in sudden storms. The Greek says Jesus compels them to go. He makes them go. And he doesn't send them to their favorite vacation spot. Jesus sends them far to the other side, to an unfamiliar place, to a destination that was probably not particularly appealing. But like good disciples, they go. And sure enough, a storm picks up along the way. And the wind is so strong, by early morning, they still had not reached the other side of the sea. 
Now, I had always assumed it was the storm that made the disciples fear first. However, the first mention of their fear is not in reference to the storm. After all, these are experienced fishermen. They are used to storms. But so they are delayed more than they are dismayed. It's not the storm. It's Jesus. It's early in the morning, they're exhausted physically and emotionally, and then they see someone walking toward them on the water. They assume it's a ghost, that is what terrifies them, the uncertainty of who this could be and what it could mean for them. And Jesus, being Jesus, senses their fear and tells them to have courage, to take heart, it's only me. But Jesus' words are not enough for one disciple, Peter. Peter says, if it's you, Jesus, command me to come out to you on the water. Now, if this were me, I'd have thought of something different. Jesus, what city was I born in? When's my birthday? What's the name of my first pet? What's my maternal grandmother's maiden name? The typical security questions when you forget your password. But for some reason, in the midst of a storm and fear and uncertainty and possibly even a ghost, Peter seems to think the appropriate thing to do is to have Jesus invite him out. If this is Jesus, invite me out. I'll leave the safety of my boat and I'll walk on water. Why do it in the first place? Why walk on water? Because that's where Jesus is. And if we're to follow Jesus, we want to go where he goes. A commencement speaker once said to the graduating class of Ohio University, you will only find meaning in what you struggle with. Peter, it seems, understands this message. And it brings us to the first lesson we learn about walking on water. You have to get out of the boat. No matter how certain things seem, uncertain things seem, you have to have the courage to take that first step in the first place. Now, a pastor, none of these up here, so I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but a pastor once said he feels it's his job to get the members of his church to hit their midlife crisis as early in their lives as possible. Because this kind of crisis creates an openness and receptivity to God that few other things can. A crisis is a moment when what we thought was certain is suddenly thrown into question. Whether that crisis is one of our vocation or values, relationship or identity. Or perhaps it's a crisis of being thrust into a situation like none we have ever experienced before. It's the kind of moment the disciples experience in this passage when in the middle of this overwhelming storm, Jesus shows up moving toward them in a whole new way. It's the kind of uncertainty like being invited to walk on water. Like Peter, sooner or later on our journeys of faith, we'll discover that in order to grow in our walk with the Lord, we'll need to step out of our comfortable boats 
and head into uncharted waters. But what if we begin to look at uncertainty as an opportunity to discover God in a whole new way? After Jesus and Peter climbed back into the boat, the wind calmed down, and all who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This struggle, this uncertainty opened their eyes to, or in the least, it confirmed yet again who Jesus is. God can use uncertainty to disrupt our usual ways of being and thinking and doing in order to transform our understanding of who God is and who we are as God's children and what we are capable of as God's children. Uncertainty can inspire us to draw closer to God. Uncertainty can open us up to the transformative work of God, which brings us to our second lesson about walking on water. Fix your eyes on where you want to go. Now there's an important phenomena you're warned about when you learn how to ride a motorcycle. It's called target fixation. Target fixation is when a person becomes so fixed on a hazard that they want to avoid that they actually tend to ride right into it. It sounds absurd, but it's absolutely true, and it's happened to me. I learned how to ride motorcycles on a grass field airport from my dad, and I was on a, thank goodness, a mini Honda bike, very tiny little dirt bike, and I rode directly into a 30-foot-long telephone pole that was laying down in a big field. There was plenty of opportunity to avoid the pole. My dad was so confused. Why did you let that happen? But I had fixed my eyes on this pole. I don't want to hit it. I don't want to hit it. And I went right into it. At the time, I didn't know that there was actually a simple way to combat target fixation. All you have to do is look where you want to go. You see, it works both ways. Fix your eyes on the telephone pole, your destination is the grass. Fix your eyes on the open road, and that's where you'll go. And you know, for a moment, it works for Peter. He walks on water, but then he gets distracted by the storm and starts to go under. He only sinks when he takes his eyes off of Jesus. I don't blame him. It's easy to fix our eyes on the storms around us. It's easy to become overwhelmed by our circumstances that we lose sight of Jesus right in front of us. It's easier to hear the voices of chaos and disaster and doom and despair rather than the still small voice of God. Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Like glass-bottom bridges, what we are seeing are the dangers below, and they can be terrifying and real. We don't see that which supports us, that which is a foundation. With faith, we're supported completely. We're supported by what gives us comfort, such as God's word. Or perhaps we crawl on our knees in prayer. You're still doing it. 
it's essential for us to pray. It's essential for us to study God's word individually with our families, with others throughout the week, not just here on Sunday morning. This is how the Spirit inscribes God's words on our hearts. This is how we learn how to fix our eyes on Jesus. As Peter goes under, he doesn't turn and swim back to the boat. As soon as he begins sinking, he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reaches out to catch him. And then Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I don't read this as a criticism. I don't read this as Jesus saying Peter failed. I wonder if Jesus is inviting Peter to consider, why did he doubt? What was it about the storm, Peter? What is it within you, Peter, that caused you to doubt and sink? I wonder if this is really an invitation to reflect, to learn from what happened and to grow from it. So for the next time a storm comes, Peter is more equipped to walk on water. This is the cycle of faith, isn't it? An invitation to get out of the boat, to walk on water. A disruption, the storm is coming. We're focused elsewhere. And transformation. Discovering what God can do, what God will do. With it all comes the realization that we don't have to weather the storm nor walk on water alone. Storms of life can be disappointing, sometimes disorienting, and yet, if the stories of our tradition teach us anything, it's that when we admit and even embrace those storms, it's then God begins the hard but important work of transforming us. In Genesis 12, we read about two people who face this storm, this story. We read, now the Lord said to Abraham, go, go from your country, leave your people, I'll show you where to go. I'm going to make you the founder of a great nation, and all the families of earth will be blessed through you. Imagine how startling it would have been for Abraham to receive that message, go. But he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't ask for clarifying questions or a packing list. I would be asking, which way are we going, God? Do we need winter clothes or summer clothes? How long are we going to be gone? What kind of footwear do I need? He doesn't ask. God says, go. Abraham packs up all of his possessions, and he and Sarah and their entire household follow. They left the boat to follow God without having any idea where they were going, how long the journey would take, or if they would ever return home. Abraham and Sarah's story is an example of faithfulness. It's an example of this cycle of faith. In difficult times, it helps us to have examples of people like them who've gone before us. Courageous people who did away with comfort to follow God. People who've lived with their convictions despite what anyone else thought. People who truly, who were true to what they believed. People who lived out their values no matter the cost. And people who even themselves went back and forth between doubting and trusting when storms came. Friends, living by faith is a choice. 
Faith is choosing to trust, not that God will take away the storm, but that God will be with us through it all. Faith is like a muscle that we can make stronger through working it out. The early Christians met in homes behind closed doors, sharing communion meals, singing together, remembering the stories of Jesus and keeping them alive before the gospels were even written. This practice strengthened them for facing a world that is filled with storms, just like ours. And that's why we rally together today as a community. It's not just to be busy. It's not just because this is what we do to fill our time. It's how we become courageous enough to get out of our boats and walk on water with Jesus. It's because this is how we continue to learn how to fix our eyes on him despite any struggles. It's how we discover that faith is enough, that it actually is a tangible surface for the path of life. It's how we deepen our faith and encourage one another to do the same. Today's story is not a story of a skeptic who habitually doubts. I think he gets a bad rap sometimes. But I think this is a story of a faithful follower who becomes overwhelmed by the circumstances surrounding them who begins to lose their nerve when they discover the odds stacked against them in the middle of a crisis, but who also finds Jesus' steadying, delivering hand. Today's story is Peter's story, but it is also Abraham and Sarah's story. Today's story is my story. I wonder if it could be yours too. Amen.